to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are um, going to be finishing up our um, time in this series, uh, Train Us for Eternity. So I hope that that has been um, helpful. Um, I hope that it's been good for your soul to uh, maybe look at some things that sometimes um, as we go through um, Christian teaching or, or sermons or lessons, some, some areas that maybe we don't spend as much time on. Um, but in all of those things, if you actually step back what Brad just said there, um, if we think through us asking God to train us for eternity, um, knowing ourselves and his, his word, his doctrine better, um, us seeing how we respond to people and we react, um, then moving on to, to learning about what Sabbath rest is, and that, that all comes to abiding in Christ, that it's not a ritual, that it's actually our, our rest is in Christ and learning what resting and trusting in the gospel looks like, and then to go on to the faithfulness of looking at uh, serving one another by, by speaking the truth in love, and equipping the saints for works of ministry, and then um, going on further to disciple-making. So if you step back and look at even all those pictures, think about that. That is all an act of love by God the Father. That's God going, let, let me show you love. If you would incorporate this into your life, you would have satisfaction and joy and love. The, the most loving thing I could do would be to give you some of these gifts. And sometimes we, we can look at them as lists to do or more burdens of the church or whatever it is instead of seeing what, what Brad just said there is that actually in us asking God to train us for eternity, it's us actually sitting back like a big Christmas morning going, God, give us more of you. Let us learn to love one another better. The way that you and the Son and the Spirit love one another, let us learn to be aware of these things. And so that's, that's what we've been looking at. And this last couple of weeks, um, focusing on train us for eternity, is that mortification of sin. So um, we went into that, and, and uh, again, I would encourage you to look at uh, John Owen's work on mortification of sin. I would tell you to look at his whole body of work. Um, um, but uh, Mortification of sin and the death of death and the death of Christ being two of his biggest, uh, most helpful works over the centuries. And so whole movements impacted, whole movements of revival and stuff going on because of um, even, even some of the stuff today that we're going to talk about. There, there's been uh, pastors um, that have in, in churches that, that began to kind of go through that book and, and learning to be led by the Spirit uh, saw great revival happen, personal revival that led to revival in the church, spiritual growth, um, the church being added to with salvations and baptism. So some beautiful things. And so um, I, I wanted to remind you that we're in this uh, one verse, Romans 13. And so if you're used to expo expositional preaching, this again is how the Puritans would, would take even one verse sometimes, and they may spend eight weeks on this one verse. And so we are, this today and last week was a little bit of a different sermon. This one today will be a little bit different in the fact it's, um, it's highly educational, but it's also a little, um, it's deep, but it's, it's not like a, the regular flow of a sermon. And so you'll see what I mean when we get into that. So if you're... Um, um, taking marks and stuff like that. I'm, I'm fine with that. But just, just know that um, it's, it's going to be a little bit different because of the content I'm using, trying to tie in what Owen was bringing out with this scripture here. And so that, that verse is in Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so the, the emphasis there that we looked at last week was the nature of sin. We wanted to know a little bit more about the nature of sin. What Owen famously said was, uh, if you're not killing sin or you be killing sin or it be killing you. And I think that we just like to act like that's not true. I think that we, we subtly just kind of cover our eyes and like to think that that's not really a reality. And then and we just go for a few days or a few weeks and then something blows up and, and we kind of go, man, how did that happen? Well, 
it may have been that we've just been persisting in sin. Uh, it could be inside relationships. It could be inside your job. It could be with your children, um, all kinds of things. Uh, and so all the practical outworkings. And so we're going to look at this again. Um, but today we're going to move from looking at last week, the, the nature of sin and having some of those reminders of what we looked at about the depth of sin, we're going to take some of John Owen's advice on how we can, um, on our part, the human responsibility, join with the Spirit in mortifying sin. So notice in Romans 8.13, he doesn't say, um, but if you will just put to death the deeds of the body. If you will put to death the deeds of the body. Now, you may have grown up in churches without realizing it. Now, as you kind of look back, that was what Sunday sermons were. That was what youth group was. Don't do these things. Don't do these things. Don't do these things. Bow your head, close your eyes, repeat this after me. And so don't do these things. Don't do these things. Here are the good things you do. And so that, that's, that's needed. But sometimes what was absent was this idea of by the Spirit, we're joining the Spirit's work. So there's God's work, what He's doing, always working around us, through us, and the Spirit working in us. And we're, we, man's responsibility, we have a responsibility in that. And so it's not just, so, so the futility that many of you have felt of trying to keep all your lists and then it doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to. Or trying to keep your lists and you're still battling this sin going, I just don't understand. I did all these steps. Well, are you allowing the Spirit? So we're joining in the Spirit's work there. So we're going to see some concrete steps on that. So um, here's some concrete directions for mortifying sin. So I'm going to go through these first, and then we're going to break these down as we go through that, looking at that verse, Romans 8.13. So the first one is, um, again, these concrete directions. Load your conscience with the guilt of this sin. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Load your conscience with the guilt. That, that seems like the most abusive, non-PC, ridiculous thing. If you've been anywhere around, whether it's homeschool, private school, public school, like this emphasis that took over 30 or 40 years ago with pop psychology and self-esteem, so the self-esteem movement, so some of you may have grown up where, you know, all 12 people get the trophy. We're all winners, and we, we all won, and we all, and that, that just makes people go on American Idol and get laughed at by millions of people, right? Because mom and grandma said, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the greatest. And then millions of people went like, oh, this is ridiculous. You can't sing at all. And, but, but they were told everything. They were, there wasn't first place and second place and third place and fourth place because fourth place would be abusive to their self-esteem, and that would destroy little snowflake. And so everyone's winners, everyone's winners. And then you get in life, you're like, golly, man, I don't feel like I'm winning. Like, that guy's really killing it. She's really killing it. Like, we're definitely losing. They didn't prepare me for this for 18 years. And so um, uh, that idea, load your conscience with guilt. Guilt and shame would kill self-esteem. So we, we've stayed away from that. Even in the Christian church, so uh, if you notice for the last 10 years, I've noticed this theme. And so if you listen to those different whatever groups, uh, that are, you know the big, huge uh, worship concerts and everything, the, the crowd's singing this song. And when they hit the line about our shame is removed, like you hear the people just starting to, Jesus! Like they, when that shame, and, I, and I, I, like I'm one, so I, I'm in this deep, deep thing going, Am I blinded? So I understand guilt, like the shame thing I don't deal with. A lot of people deal with shame a lot more. And so um, in that, um, when I hear those things, I'm like, oh, this is impacting a ton of people, and I don't get it as much. Um, and so um, anyway, and so if you're, if you're a person that's bent a little more to control rigidness or legalism, shame will come along with that because you're never going to meet up. So you guys know I'm always kind of bashing that idea. And so I'm more over here on the other side. And so guilt, I'm like, oh, I knew I did that wrong. And there's guilt immediately. So I deal with that part. Um, and so um, with, um, and you talk about cultures, uh, a shift that's happening worldwide, worldwide and globally is in America, we've always been a guilt um, so that's why justice, and that's why we use the Roman road to, to share the gospel with people, because we want them to get to the place of realizing you're guilty standing before this judge. 70% of the world does not operate in that thinking system. 70% of the world, 65 maybe, operates in a shame, a shame um, thing. What's interesting is kids under 20 right now, they are more operating in what the global society or the two-thirds world, the majority world operates in, in a shame thing. 
So you saw that, so some 20-somethings, when you hear those songs playing, and the shame is removed, or whatever song, you know, you hear this, oh, it's building up. And so there's something about that. And that stinks for me, because since I don't identify with it, I'm not thinking through that. I'm still thinking through the guilt part. And so um, anyway, um, here comes John Owen, doesn't fit, definitely doesn't fit with our culture. Take some time, load your conscience with the, the guilt and that just seems foreign to us. Again, if, if you haven't realized what's happened is this, this movement, PC movement, all this stuff about self-esteem, um, and, and, and that, that if you just have self-esteem, just think better of yourself. Um, if you're not careful, the Bible ne- never tells us ever, ever, ever that you should have more pride. And so um, now, if, if you've been through things, you've been through abuses or different things, there is this reality of, my identity in Christ says that no matter what's happened to me, I'm secure in Christ. I'm valuable. I'm worth God, um, God's love for me. And not, not meaning that you're worthy of salvation, but he, he, he loved Israel. He loved us even beyond our sin. So he said, you're worthy of my son dying. I love you that much. I want you to worship me through that. And so um, in that, you can find your true identity in Christ. And now shame Self-esteem, your self-esteem will naturally go up. We don't have to make self-esteem the idol that we're pursuing, which our culture has. And so um, Owen just doesn't fit here. And then he says the second thing is load your heart with a strong desire or a plea to get rid of this sin. So after you're saying, I need to pause and and look at this sin and load my, my heart, my conscience with the guilt over it, now I should have, after seeing this sin for what it is, I should have a strong, strong desire to have that removed. My heart should be changed. If I understand God and his glory and his holy standard, I should want this sin removed. If I understand anything about salvation, I would want that removed. So that's where repentance comes in, right? And then there's these three on kind of study Study and know if this sin is rooted in your particular predisposition. Does this run in your family? Is this a certain sin that, man, it's been, you're you're kind of bent more this way. And there may be a person next to you. uh, You could even be your brother in your family. It could be a person you work next to. They don't seem, seem to struggle with the same one or two or three main sins that you struggle with. So we've all seen that. So he says, um, is it rooted in your particular predisposition? I mean, he's not, he, he doesn't mean by that, oh, it's justified then, you're okay. Since, since your personality struggles with this, you're okay. He, he's not saying that at all, so we're, we're not going there. Um, but then he also says, study and know your danger areas, those, those particular sins, the family of sins maybe that you continue to fall into in patterns. Also, know sin's first actings. And remember, he he views sin as almost this living creature that's inside of us that's always, always active. We saw that last week where it's trying to get us and it's trying to tempt us. Um, And so it's just this active thing. And he's like, know the things that are triggers for you. Um, So we're going to look at that. But then also at the end, gaze and meditate on the glory of God in the cross of Christ. So, So in dealing with those things, now let's turn our gaze from looking at sin, staring at sin, loading our guilt loading our conscience with guilt to now let's let's take for the bad news sin and how depraved we are and, and let's let's lift our eyes jesus didn't come to give just bad news remember it, the gospel is the good news yes even though you're that wicked that you don't even like to look at you don't even know how to look at it we're a culture that doesn't take time to look at it and you're going to see that today and even as bad as that is and we can't even imagine what god actually sees about the depth of our sin in his holiness. So think of a completely pure, perfect, holy being looking at every one of us with sin, and we kind of take it real lightly. We don't look at our sin. We just kind of like, yeah, I'm forgiven, so in Jesus' name. And so we take it lightly from his perspective. Think of what sin's like, but still I'm pouring out the gospel on you. That's a beautiful patient, merciful God that we're going to spend eternity for with. And so then the last one is gaze and meditate at Christ against this lie. And I'm going to talk about the particulars of that. So this first one, um, let me pray as we get into this first one, this con- uh, these concrete directions for mortifying sin. Father, we do come, um, first of all, just, just wanting to start out reminded that this is a message of love, even though it talks about some dark, deep-rooted things that we don't like to look at. It's awkward. It's obscene. 
It's uh, frustrating. It's painful. Um, it's damaging. It's destructive. And yet you have still overcome that. You are still patient with us. You are merciful. You are long-suffering as we walk in pattern and pattern and pattern after sin, after sin, after sin. You are loving and faithful. Your steadfast love endures forever. No matter how, we, how bad we've blown it the night before, your, your mercies are new every morning. And we're not like that, Father. When someone hurts us, our mercy for them is not new every morning. The next morning, we usually come with a whole list of things, Lord, against them. We can't even fathom your righteousness, your goodness, your love, your patience, your mercy, and your grace. And so would you help us to see all of this that we talk about as actually the reality of the beauty of your whole redemptive process that you come pursuing us as bad as we were and as bad as we still are, you still have a plan. And you are the one, by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Would you help us to see that? In your name we pray. Amen. So that first one, um, just load your conscience with the guilt of this sin. Uh, again, like I said earlier, I know it's completely against modern culture. It's against the self-esteem movement that has infiltrated everything, from, from videos to commercials to everything. It's just about your self-esteem. So for you younger people, just know that that has, been, that has infiltrated books. It's infiltrated education of all levels, all kinds of Christian, um, Christian uh, writings. It's infiltrated that. And so just know that this idea of self-esteem is not... It, all that it's called to be. It's not going to lead you to satisfaction. It's not going to lead you to those things because it, it, if we're not careful, self-esteem can lead to just pride. The Bible never tells us you need to be more prideful. The Bible always warns us about our pride. Pride is one of the very base roots of Satan and sin. So just be aware um, that, that here is something that's going to go right against everything that we've heard. Um, we don't like to hear about guilt and shame even in the church. So let's listen to Owen here. He says, bring your lust to the gospel, not for relief, but for further conviction of its guilt. Now that may sound really, really weird to you because we, we know the gospel is what, what reminds us of the truth of the gospel and we're not stuck in that sin. But he, what, 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 oh, the, the thesis that Owen's building on is, I'm afraid most of us in the church, believers, take sin so lightly that we just want to, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if you believe and confess, that if you confess it to the Lord, then it's just taken care of. All sins, past, present, and future, they're all, they're all taken care of. And so you know what we do? We move over very lightly, and we don't take the time to look at it through the God's light of his word and allowing the Spirit to bring the guilt that's there. If you're doing something really horrific, you're guilty, even as a believer. And sometimes in the church, through songs, through teachings, uh, oh, well, the gospel takes away all guilt and shame. No, not if you continue to do this. So Owen was saying, but you're continuing to do the pattern sin. You're saying that you were made a new creature, a new identity in Christ, but you're still walking in these pattern sin. There's a, there's a misunderstanding here. You're, you're not understanding the, 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 the danger and the, the, the depth of what sin does. And so bring your lust to the gospel. Not for relief, just immediate relief, but for further conviction of its guilt. Look on him who thou hast pierced, and be in bitterness. Say to thy soul, what have I done? What love, what mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? And so for me, I remember Piper bringing out one time, every single thought that pops up as a temptation, and you pursue that thought, and it turns into a lust or desire, or that, that temptation that pops up, and you follow through with an action, every single one is this, this element of you saying to God Almighty, you shut up and sit down. You're out of the picture. You're on the side. You shut up and sit down, God. I am God over this. I will do this thing even though you said no, and you will shut up, and I will let you know when I need you again. Every thought, and temptation that we say yes to. Now, do, you, do we do that on Monday <laughs> by noon, two or three times? Do we think of it that way? What an offense to God. What a slap in the face to this holy God. And what does he do? Does he strike us dead immediately? 
We don't think of it like that. So that's why he's saying, we need to think through this. What, what love, what mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and, and taken so light and trampled on? And Owen's just saying, back in the 1600s, I, I think that we're uh, uh, people that are just so distracted with anything weighty and of depth that we take sin so lightly that we're not understanding what we really are, are trampling under our feet. And so bring your lust to the gospel, not for quick, immediate release, but for further conviction. He's saying this to those believers and not lost people or those who he's worried thinking that they are saved. So that's the culture of Tulsa, right? That's the Bible Belt. Everyone around you is saved. Every, every person here, 90% of people that are not in church in the mornings, they don't believe you're supposed to be in church. It doesn't matter because they went to Falls Creek in, in you know, 1992. And so they're good. Everything's fine. And so in that, they believe that they're believers. And sure, they've done all these things, but man, God's forgiving. We'll have this little sit-down talk with God if I have to meet, and he's really kind of holding me up at the gates. You know, he'll just, and We just treat him like he's just a little bit taller than us and a little bit bigger than us, and we'll be able to kind of um, just argue our point with him. And that's not the God of the universe. And so Owen's trying to help believers understand that comfortably allowing unrepentant sin to remain in the heart is extremely dangerous, but we don't think so. Um, so we, we learned last week that the pervasiveness of sin, the abiding nature, it's indwelling sin is always in us, right? And it's very confusing for us because we go, okay, I asked Jesus into my heart. Some scriptures talk about Christ in you. The Spirit is indwelling us now as believers, so how is this still here? And so it's not a mystery to God. That is true, that Jesus is in us through the Spirit. The Spirit is indwelling us. Old Testament believers didn't have full indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, that was the new covenant. I'm going to write my uh, law on your heart. I'm going to put my Spirit inside you. So Acts 2, Spirit comes and starts indwelling believers. Old Testament didn't have that. And so um, with this, that, that's, some, that's some crazy thinking to know this indwelling sin in me it is still at the same time abiding in me, but the Holy Spirit's there. And that can be confusing. Um, also, it's constant. It's active. It's desire is for utmost destruction. So we saw all that last week, the nature of indwelling sin. But Owen wants us to be realistic about sin and see the, the ghastly destruction that it would cause. We, we might would desire mortification if we understood how how desperate and how dangerous that sin would want to take us to, the destruction it would want to take us to. So he's saying this, set your, your sin, this, this particular sin, set it on the table and don't just quickly, oh, I know that's there. Yep, I shouldn't have done that. Set it on the table and let's take some time to start digging into it and, and, and opening it up. Now, we're not good at that. We don't take the time to do those things. He's like, set it on the table right in front of you, study it, Begin to stare at it. Take some time to meditate and think on this sin. And then as you begin to do that, what's going to happen is guilt on that is going to start hitting your conscience. And now, hopefully what happens in that, as guilt hits your conscience, you're going to feel the weight continually of, I need the Holy Spirit. I need further repentance. I continue to walk in repentance and faith. Um, don't look away from its hideousness. How far would it take you if it was pleased? How far would it want to go if you just let it have its way? What types of destruction would it cause in your family, your own life? And so how many of us in a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time, do what Owen's talking about here? Setting this sin before us and taking the time to really think through why is it I keep falling for this? This is the 15th time in a month, whatever that would be. And we'll get into some of those in a little bit. Don't try to hide how repulsive it is because that, the hideousness, is what God sees the whole time. And we just look over it lightly. We're, we're the most distracted generation that's probably ever been on the earth, right? I mean, from, from your phone and all the distractions, uh, they, they are, they're writing books about just the effects it has on us as adults, but also children. And so don't try to lie to yourself and say we're not distracted or, or we're not too busy or we're not just spinning looking at other things. Don't lighten the guilt. Ask the Holy Spirit to let your conscience be affected by it. Oh, it says, perhaps your conscience will invent shifts 
and evasions to keep off the power of this consideration. So your conscience will even try to justify and invent shifts and distractions. Here's, I, had, I had a whole list of about five things. that Here's some things that we do, but here's one that we, we will tend to do. If you start feeling conviction about something and you know it's something that you fell into several times, a lot of times what we do is we start making our righteous list of, but, but I did do this. I mean, I'm very faithful. I'm always at church, and, and that, you know, that one family, they're not. And I really give. I mean, we give above and beyond our tithe and offering. And I even go above. I'm, I'm helping set up stuff. I'm, I, we're, we're hosting small group in our house. We start laying out our righteousness on the table sometimes when we begin to feel a little bit of guilt. And that's what he's Owen saying here. We invent shifts and evasions to keep our conscience from feeling the, the guilt and the weight of that. And we do it so easily. Um, his concern is that as we do that, we're justifying our sin, which, which allows us to do this. I, I, I keep my sin, and I'm just going to hold it and manage it. I, I, I get it, God. You're right. You're right. That shouldn't be there. I, I'm going I'm to really work on that one. I'm not letting that go. I'm not letting that go. So don't be surprised when leaders of Christian organizations, after 30 years, this thing comes out, and they've had you know 20 different women, or they've been stealing from their Christian ministry or company for the last 25 years. So, so I'm holding on to that. And I, 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 my gifting, my personality, my ability... Can do all this stuff, God. That's what people are doing. God, don't you see all the work I'm doing for you? Don't you see how much I'm trying? Don't you see all the good stuff? And there's this this, this secret thing going over here. And he's going, Man, I'd love to talk to you about that. Your mom, she struggled with that. Your brothers, your sister, they struggle with that. You see it so clearly in them. I'd love to talk to you about that. And we just, but we're really doing some good things. And I, all those songs say we shouldn't feel guilt or shame. So again, this is this is a counter-cultural, timely message. Um, you've probably experienced that. Have you had little pet sin that you thought you were able to kind of hide away in secrecy that no one knows? I remember um, talking with different people that you you would begin to. Um, you'd think, man, they just, they just seem like they have everything so meek and so, so under control and so, so godly. And then six months later, they begin to share, well, actually, here's what I struggle with. I get alone, and here's what I do. And you'd think, no, no way. And most of us have heard some of those stories, but especially in pastoring, you begin to hear these stories. So, so, so pastors, leaders that are like, hey, um, I struggle so bad with this thing, and, and no one would even know it. And so, man, it's just, a, it's just a cycle that happens. And most of us have those things, and, and we, we don't know what to do with it. Owen says he pushes us to think through holding on to certain sins. We will never truly root out sin, never truly mortify and kill particular sins if we have a secret love affair with that sin. And again, it's those things where we're going, I, I got it, God, and we're just trying to manage it. Um, Consider this, when, when you're setting that on the table, now, now you're setting this sin on the table, you're going to study it, you're going to go deep into it and see the, the destructive nature of it and the force that it could have. And then, then, then take your eyes and think through the patience and the long-suffering of God that he's allowed you to not only walk in that and act in that and think that and even enjoy pursuing that, and he didn't squash you. Just think of his patience and long-suffering. And the times that you kept telling him, that's the last time. I mean, you may have had those times. I remember like high school years, you know, they would have some speakers and just all of us would go to the home like this. God, you don't even realize, like I'm never going to listen to those secular songs again. This, this time you don't even know, like, like God's unknowing. He's like, oh yeah, give, uh, I give you like three hours, you know, like whatever it is. And so just, God, this time I'm really, 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 really going to do it. And he's going, no, you're not. There'll be 50 more times. And I'm going to love you and bless you and keep pursuing you and keep wooing you and keep calling you to this holiness. And I'm going to lovingly even supply what you need in that. I'm not going to destroy your life for that. Think through his patience and forbearance. Um, how often have you been, uh, this is from Owen, how often have you been at the door 
of being hardened. And what he's talking about is Romans 1, where pattern sin, pattern sin, pattern sin, conviction, ignore it, ignore it, pattern sin, pattern sin. Um, there's these things, and if it's a pet sin, maybe something's going on, and then, and then there's this point where maybe we're not even aware of it, where the Holy Spirit, if you've ever felt that, where all of a sudden there's no more conviction on that, that's a scary place to be when he's going, go ahead, walk that path. And so him turning you over, and so Romans 1 has different levels there of hardening. And we can put on a good act. We can, we can do all the, the lists, and hardening can be going on. And it's just a dangerous, dangerous thing. How, how many times have we been at the door of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? But by the infinite rich grace of God, you've been recovered to communion with him again. The prodigal God, the, the wild, wild son who goes off, should have just got destroyed. The son who's working right beside the father but despises everything about the father. Doesn't even understand the love of the father. Doing all his rules and keeping all his lists and being perfect. I've never done anything wrong and look what you've done. That's his attitude towards the father. Both separated from the father in the story. And their righteous, own righteousness or in just outright um, pugnacious sin. And, and here's this loving father being patient with both. Um, now, here's a question that will pop up. But, but Sankey, if our sins, past, present, future, are forgiven, removed as far as the east is from the west, what about our guilt and shame being removed by Jesus? Plus, also, we, we know even Romans 8, 1, that there is now no condemnation, condemnation for those who are in Christ. Remember this, John Owen is writing this on verse 13 of Romans 8. He's writing in context of Romans 8 going, some of you have misunderstood Romans 6 and 7 and 8. Romans 6 just saying, I thought you died to these things, but yet you're still doing that. That was my favorite thing working with college students. Like, like yeah, oh, yeah, I've I'm, been I'm like a worship leader. Because that's weird because you're living with your girlfriend for the last two years. Yeah, but, but still, I was a worship leader this summer at Falls Creek, and I'm a worship leader in this campus ministry and do all this stuff. It's like, hey, let's look at Romans 6. So this says that... You probably aren't a believer if you're still living in these things. That's what following Christ looks like. You've painted a picture of, you repeated a prayer one time, and you're completely okay to keep living in all this ridiculous sin. Romans 6, Romans 7. Paul going, I don't even understand. I'm confused by the fact that I do the very thing that I don't want to do. And then Romans 8 Hey, but the reality is, if you're a true believer, your identity is in Christ, you are being led by the Spirit, you are living a life of faith and repentance, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the context. And so, as we're looking at that, remember, he's writing in context of that. Those who are under grace, but who, who are saying who are saying that they're under grace, but they're remaining in sin. They're not seeking the Spirit's um, renewal. They're not repenting of sin. They're not confessing sin. He's saying, you're presuming upon grace. And that's not a true understanding of regeneration, of justification, of sanctification, of repentance and faith. You're wanting to celebrate freedom from guilt while still holding on to particular sins. That you've said that, yeah, I understood regeneration. I understood justification. And we're holding on to particular sins. So Owen brings that out to show the second one they has there, and the, the, the whole bulk of that is under one. The rest of these go very fast. But he would say, you know, in one, load your thoughts, your conscience, on the guilt of the sin. Let your conscience feel the weight of that sin. And then load your heart with a strong desire and plead to get rid of this sin. Um, the natural response, response, if the believer does load their conscience and stare at their sin, you would, by the Spirit, if I'm doing that, if I'm doing that by the Spirit, the Spirit would, would be saying, you have to get rid of this. This needs to be confessed. You're agreeing with God that it's out of line, and now you're repenting, and you're asking for help and strength to be able not to do that. It's just not even in your own strength. Sometimes it is your self-will, but sometimes it's not your own strength. And so um, if you're a believer and you're not going by the design of God, if you're not doing this, if you're, if you're not listening and responding to the Spirit, but you're ignorant or indifferent and justifying without realizing it, how can renewal actually take place? 
if we lay aside God's design of this depth of work, and that's why we've been going through, train us for eternity, because I think what we do is we come and we attend. And sometimes what people walk away with was, man, it was like 68 degrees in there. That's the second week in a row that Brad did that song the first, the, as the first song. Why does Sankey wear the same shirt every week? That's what people will walk away with. It's a good point. So speaking on sin, I wore this flowery. This is supposed to lighten the mood, right? I've had two or three people comment on it. It's probably not working. And so just the, just the reality that um, we, we show up. We do our list of little righteous things. And we're wanting to do it in obedience, and it may be partly obedience, but what we're doing, we're not doing the depth of work on the soul level. And so that's what Owen's getting at. Now, um, the three areas of knowing yourself and sin's work, the, the next little three areas are just study and know. Is this rooted in a particular predisposition? The third one there, is this in my family lineage? Um, and then the second one is study and know your danger areas, and not just your family lineage, but is this one particularly just one that just clings to me? So you, you probably know you probably know what those are. Um, uh, study it deeper. How deep are its claws in you? If it's a repetitive thing that always comes at you, it's it's probably in there. Um, and then the third one there is study and no sin's first acting. So in no way is, is Owen trying to make justification or excuses like, well, if your personality or you're predisposed towards addictions, just like through your family heritage, your, your family's just a, an addictive uh, type of family, um, then, then you just, you're, you're okay. God sees that oh, that's the way that you are, and the rest of us should just deal with it. You were just made that way, right? And so, no, that's not what he's saying at all. He's going, you need to even use that to learn more about yourself. Know if you're kind of bent a certain way. So let's think through some of these. So this may be something gener generationally in your family. Addictions, um, sexual immorality of all different types. Could be just secret sexual Im immoral sin. Adultery. Um, drunkenness, and that's what the church used for 50 years, but all kinds of drug use. Uh, all kinds of prescription drugs in our culture. All, anything that's altering your mood, altering your state of mind, to get you to a place to basically, um, it's an idol to where you're escaping instead of trusting in God. That, that's, what, that's what any kind of stuff that affects the mind in that way. Excessive anger. Maybe the opposite. Passivity runs in your family. Maybe it's, it's control. Your family's just a control freak and they, everything has to be this way. Lies. Some, some families just have people that just, they just lie and lie. They'd rather tell you a small lie than just an easy truth. Um, quarrelsome, argumentative, just runs in your family. Some people just, just stealing, like little bitty things, just, just thieves, taking stuff. Laziness, abusive. These things may be generations of your family that have struggled with these. And yes, so here, here's, here's the question then. Well, hold it. But that's Old Testament curses, right? Generational stuff for your father and your father's father and all those. What about those generational curses? That doesn't apply to us. Well, here's the deal. The new covenant means that Christ in you as a believer, you have the Spirit. Old Testament didn't have. Therefore, in Christ, through the Spirit, in the new covenant, those ideas of curses that are passed on, um, they're not necessarily having the same power. That power is broken in Christ, right? So the Deuteronomy curses and things like that, um, not necessarily, but... If you don't live in the, the nature of your new identity and you go back to your old slavery and you're not doing the things of the Spirit, and so you're, 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 you're left to those predispositions. Um, if you're being attacked by spiritual forces um, and then um, you're, you're not doing the things that are, you're supposed to be doing with the Spirit, then, then you're allowing yourself to be fighting in the flesh. And it's a spiritual war that's going on. You're not repenting. You're not spending time with the Spirit. You're not allowing the Spirit to bring conviction and repentance and confession. You're not turning. And so, of course, yes, you're following in. You're following in. And demonic principalities are going, this is easy. Four generations of these suckers have fallen for this. So it's demonic. It's temptations of the heart. It's failures to flee from sin. It's failure to learn repentance. It's failure to walk in the Spirit while choosing to participate in sin. So do you know what category of sins you're most prone to fall into? 
Do you know which temptations trip you up? By the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the body. You better be aware of what um, the most dangerous and prevalent temptations are. Knowing yourself and knowing um, how you're, you're tempted, your own predisposition. Do you know what danger areas the actus triggers? Tempting, seductive, alluring things that, that get you to take the first step. So you have those things? Just taking the first step. So it could be things that you see. It could be things that you hear. It could be certain crowds of people. And when you get around them, you just want to do these things. When you hear these things. And so if you'll be honest with that and be honest with God in that and say, would you help me to kind of rid myself of some of those temptations and those places and those things? Get that out of my life. If that's the first step. Um, Piper has a thing on, this is on, it's called Anthem, and it's specifically, particularly dealing with lust, but um, he has um, an Anthem. And so this is just just running through it real quick. So this is on knowing those first acting. So when, when you have a temptation, just just kill it immediately. Kill it immediately. That's what he's saying. And so this one is with lust in particular. But so A, anthem, the word, just uh, avoid as much as possible. Any sites or situations that arouse sinful desire. Um, the N, just say no immediately within five seconds. So a thought, an image pops up, just say no and, and, and say no to that and get away from that within five seconds. Don't allow your thoughts to go into that for 10, 15, 20 seconds in temptation. T is turn your mind forcefully. If you're five seconds in, you turn your mind forcefully away from that, that tempting thought towards Christ as a greater satisfaction. I'm going to go in the end uh, about how, what that can look like. And then H, hold the promise or the pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind. And so it will push out other thoughts. Um, e is enjoy the superior satisfaction. And then M is move into useful activity. Don't allow yourself to just sit in idleness. So if you're just going to, now you're like, oh man, I just had that thought. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think. You're probably going to think you better get to doing something, right? And so um, that, that's all on these ideas of taking that first step of being aware of, of those first triggers, those first actings of sin. And then the last two there is gaze and meditate on the glory of God in the cross of Christ. So notice what Owen says is, is this the return that I make to the father for his love? to the Son for His blood, to the Holy Ghost for His grace? Do I thus requit the Lord? Have I defiled the heart that Christ died to wash, which the blessed Spirit hath chosen to dwell in? So all of those points above that we're talking about satisfaction, are you learning to be satisfied in the Lord? So Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your, in your right hand, um, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm sorry, I botched that up. Uh, in the path of life, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As you're being tempted by sin, now so now you're sitting sin on the table, and you've studied it, you've seen it for its grossness, you're seeing all these convicting things about it. Now lift your gaze to Christ. And so here's what I do. Here's my personal thing that I do. Whether it's a tempting thought, whether it's something, again, I'm sitting in my vehicle, and thank, thank goodness it's blowing out 84-degree air conditioning, and, I, and, the, and the big tundra pulls up beside me. And immediately, I can't stand that guy. I start judging him. He's a pitiful dad. He's living for materialism and money, and that's why he's getting to drive something with normal air conditioning. And uh, like... And I'm the good godly guy that's suffering. I'd be on a mule with Jesus, right? Because I'm self-righteous in that. And so we're, I'm going through all those thoughts and envy and all that. And, and so, hey, God, that's a lie. And for, I'm joking about it. I don't really go through maybe all of those steps with the guy that I don't know, but maybe some. And so, but I'm sitting there. And so immediately the lie uh, uh, when jealousy or envy pops up is, hey, that's a lie that life would be satisfying if I had that. I'm confessing to you, my heart wants to believe that. Before I've even sinned in that, I'm tempted, tempted to believe that if I had that, or if I was able to do this, then I would be fulfilled and happy. And so the lie is there's nothing on this earth, nothing that is created on this earth or universe that's only you. Jesus, would you allow me right now, I'm confessing to you that I don't do that, would you, Spirit, help me to place that on the center of the table? And so do you see what I just did? In three, four, five seconds, I got the sinful temptation out of the thing, put Jesus on the table as center, and now going before I fall into sin, would you strengthen me, give me a, a love for you and a satisfaction in you that I'm not going to find in material things or comfort or possessions or whatever that would be? 
And so immediately we're, we're fighting that sin, asking the Spirit, and confessing to Him openly. And sometimes you're not necessarily confessing that you've sinned. That, that hey, this temptation popped up, and I just know it's wrong, God. I feel that my conscience saying that's wrong. That's your conscience feeling the guilt of it and going, hey, I, I want to remove that. I don't want to even take the step of sin. And so I'm asking you, Spirit, I, I'm not willing right now. I need you to help me to be willing. Would you help me with that? That's what He wants to do. Um, and so that's gazing and meditating on, on Christ and his cross. And that last one there, gaze and meditate at Christ against this lie and sin, as I, I just explained. Or Owen says, what can I say to the dear Lord Jesus? How shall I hold my head up with any boldness before him? Do I account communion with him of so little value that for this vile lust's sake, I've scarce left him any room in my heart? How shall I escape if I neglect so great a salvation? In the meantime, what shall I say to the Lord? Love, mercy, grace, goodness, peace, joy, consolation. I've despised them all. Think of that. Love, mercy, grace, goodness, peace, joy, consolation. With that one little sin that we don't take very seriously. I've despised them all and esteemed them as a thing of naught that I might harbor a lust in my heart. So you see just the, the beauty of what Owen's saying there, to take the depth of that sin and just lay it on the table, to study it, and then to compare the, the satisfaction of Christ and say, I confess to you in dwelling sin for the rest of my life. There's no magical pill. I'm not going to finally get to the point where I just never have to deal with that. It's probably going to pop back up. But if you begin to fight and kill those pattern sins, those three or four that are big ones, it can be to where you're learning through the Spirit to where you squash it within four or five seconds where it's not popping up and you're falling for it weekly all the time to where then it could be a month before you fall into that. Three months, six months, a year, 10 years. But don't ever think that it's completely gone because what is sin always doing? It's always active. It's always about it. It's waiting for you. Um, it's always trying to just sink its claws into you. So just know that. Um, all of this, as we close, as Brad comes up, I want to give you some time to respond. Talking about that again, this can be depressing. As you study and see the depth of this sin, um, the attacks are on you, but also it's on God's holiness. And so we gaze and we place our sin on the table with Christ, and we say, that's the good news. All of this should amaze us at his mercy, not giving us what we do deserve. When we talk about this and, and people are just like, oh man, I, I didn't even realize the depth of my sin. I don't consider, I don't take the time to look at some of that sin. Sometimes they just get stuck in that. It should turn us to looking at Christ and seeing a huge need for a savior, a huge need for mercy. So God's saying, you do deserve wrath. You do deserve for your life to be destroyed. You deserve for that to be brought out the first 10 seconds that you did that or that you've done this 30 times. You, you deserve for that to be brought out and for everyone around you to see that exposed. But I'm giving you mercy instead. That I'm not giving you what you do deserve. Would your heart be softened by, by these realities that we've gone through? Considering his patience, his long-suffering, his love for you, his active pursuing love? Would your heart be softened by those realities? So we've heard much about sin, but we are shaped and changed by the good news of the gospel, that that's what he's wanting to do. So I know this has been heavy for two weeks. I know it's, um, like I said, educational and a little bit systematic on sin, but, but it's a reality. If we want to be better followers of Christ, better lovers of God, then this is the way to do that. It's not by your attendance. It's by you getting alone going, God, I want more of your heart. And I see these dark things that are not part of your heart. The way I treat people, the way I don't listen and I'm not teachable to your spirit, the way that I just look over sins as if it's nothing. So I want to give you some time as we um, just um, do this first song. I'm going to pray. And we'll do the Lord's Supper after this song. So as we do this song, as we start singing, um, we want to turn and lift our thoughts. This has been dark and deep. Um, and I want us to just remember that, that that's not the end. That God's redemptive plan 
is for you right now. If you're feeling convicted and going, man, I, I, I haven't looked at sin in a long time, that you may be feeling really, really burdened. That, that's, a, that's a good gift. Don't, don't turn from that. Allow the Spirit to do some work. So you don't have to stand and sing. If you're going, man, thank you, this, this elates my heart. You can stand and rejoice and raise your hands and scream of his glory of what he's overcome for you as we sing this song. Some of you may need to just kneel and pray. Some of you may need to think through your, your own family, your own personal life. We want to give you that time. Brad's going to sing this song. Like I said, you repent, you pray, you rejoice. Let me pray first. Father, we do thank you. This is all an act of love. God, we want to be different. We don't want to just go through the motions. If you were to bring in lost people, would we be a, a fragrance of Christ to them? Not hypocritical, but loving, aware of our sin, confessing our sin, but learning to repent, learning to walk in the Spirit. We want to be a church, a group of people, not a building, but a group of people being led by the Spirit. And these are changing times, and there's not changing uh, because times are always changing, but they're changing so fast with things in our political systems, things in governments, things in the world, things with technology. And so we want to be a people who are walking in the light, that are light in dark places. We want to be salt. We don't want to be salt that mocks dead meat. We want to be salt that is still in contact with dead meat. But to do that, God, we, we need your spirit to change us. Sometimes we're scared of sitting before you. But would you do that work? Spirit, we, we love you for that. Jesus, we love you for the work that you've done on our behalf. And Father, we love you for your beautiful plan of grace. In your name we pray. Amen.